One of the biggest things that people are deficient in because they're not seeking the knowledge of God is to understand that even if we are the most educated in the world, we have the greatest number of degrees, we have the greatest following of people following us for whatever, if we don't understand that everything comes from God, then what do we really know? I mean, think about it. If you don't know God, and if you don't know he's the creator, and if you don't have any understanding of his plan, you could be the smartest, richest person in the world, but it won't do you any good. Now, I got a report here of something that none of us, all of the Scientist never knew, but it is astounding. And it is this. What lies beneath the ocean as we see the top of it? When you go out and you look at the ocean, you look out there and you see this great expanse of ocean. Now, I remember when I was in the army, and we were on our way to Korea, when we were standing on the deck ready to load on to the, sh- to the troop ship, you look at this troop ship, and it's, you think, wow, that's really a big troop ship, right? <laughs> and we all got on there, and I was very lucky to get a middle bunk. They had them stacked four high. Okay? So we got on there, and then... The ship went out past the Golden Gate. And all of us were looking out, seeing what was going on, and it started to get rough. And a lot of us got seasick, and we were vomiting over the edge of the rail, (laughs) which was quite an introduction to the Pacific Ocean. Then you get out in the Pacific Ocean, and there's nothing around you. You look everywhere. The ocean. Now, for all of you flat earthers, you better wise up. The earth is round. Now, there's something under the water that they did not understand until just recently. Which is this. From what they have discovered so far in the search that they have done, in the Pacific Ocean, they found there are 19,000 volcanoes on the ocean floor. 19,000. And they're active. And when the lava comes out, Because of the pressure of the water, it flows like this, and it builds a mountain. Some of them are miles high. One in particular was six miles high, coming from the very depths of the ocean. And the government reported that two 
nuclear submarines of the United States crashed into one of those mountains, killed one of the crew members, and all were injured. Then there is one right off the coast of, of Oregon, 60 miles off the coast of Oregon, which is this. It has a hole six miles across. And they're worried that if that one blows off, there's going to be a big tsunami and a great earthquake along the Pacific coast. Now, how many remember what happened in Fukushima, Japan, with the Fukushima atomic electric production that they had there? There was an earthquake that actually moved the whole island six inches to the north and to the west. And they had a big tsunami. Remember that? Remember the picture of the tsunami coming in and just wiping everything out. So as Wardo said, we need to get to know God because he has made everything. And also, when these volcanoes work under the ocean, they put minerals and they put those things into the water, it rises up. Now, when they had a volcano in Alaska some years ago, there was all this ash that came down on the ocean. And then later, there was an abundant harvest of salmon, and they traced it back to the volcano. So you see, we really don't know much, do we? All right? Let's come to Isaiah 40. And as we're turning there, remember what it says in 1 Corinthians 2, that the eye is not seen, nor the ear has heard, what the God has prepared for those who love him. Okay? Then if you look at some of the things, the pictures that we can look at out there in the universe, and you know that God has created it all, and that it all holds together by the word and the power of Jesus Christ. Okay? So God says here, beginning in verse 12, so this is something to keep in mind. And this is something to let it be part of our whole way of thinking of how great God is, how loving he is, how merciful he is, how kind he is. Yet on the other hand, for those who go contrary to him, he comes with wrath, with anger, and with death. Okay. So here's the admonition. For all of those who think they're intelligent and wise and smart and have two or three doctorate degrees after their names. Okay. Verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? How much water is there on the earth? 
And really, when you get to it, we can't get along without water, right? How long would you last without water? See? And then, on top of that, without food. Okay? Or, meted out the heavens with a span. Has any of us had enough power to stand up and say, whoo, and there's a creation just following from what we say? No. When you look at the heavens and see all that is there, and the beauty and the power and, and the vastness of it, our minds can't comprehend it. See? And then you watch like they've been running on, on the Science Channel recently about how the universe works. And you have all of these astronomers speaking glibly about billions of years and, and traveling in space and all of this sort of thing. <laughs> Hasn't dawned on them. You can't get very far from the earth. Because we're bound to the earth. And the only way you can leave the earth a little bit is to take with you what? Oxygen, food, water. Correct? Now, let's read on. And who has comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Huh? Who has directed the spirit of the Lord? Well, that's quite a statement, isn't it? Let's look at something that's re reality, that's important, which is this. Every word of God is true, and it won't fail. Everything that God has created, he has made. There's no such thing as evolution. There is variation, but not evolution. And all of the great minds, if we have read recently, who profess themselves to be wise, very few even believe there's a God. So God says they're foolish. And the Greek word is moron. <laughs> That's where we get the English word moron, okay? And who has taught him knowledge, see? Who has directed his spirit? Who was his counselor that he might instruct him? Did God come down and ask anyone, well, tell me what I should do? Well, Job tried it. That's why we have the whole book of Job. Even when you do what God says, you give God the credit. That was the lesson of Job. He did what God said. He mouthed the words of God, but he got all exalted and all inflated in his own ego, in his own goodness, that he even said, he wanted an umpire between him and God so that God would know how righteous he was. 
Well, God took care of them, didn't he? Yes. Verse 14. With whom did he take counsel and instruct him and taught him in the path of judgment and taught him knowledge and made known the way of understanding to him? See? Now think about this. The next time you see someone or you get inclined to think how great you are or how much you know or whatever that may be, okay, think about this. Here's how God is compared to all the nations, all the people, all the kings, all the rulers, and in our world, all of the scientists, all of the elite, all of the super rich who think they're so smart that they're going to improve on the creation of God. Okay? So let's put all of that in perspective so we understand what God is telling us. Behold the nations. That means all of them. Now, we got a nice globe over here in our meeting hall, and it shows all, all the nations and all the oceans, and guess what? There's more dark blue on there than there is <laughs> the other for land. And some of the dark blue goes seven miles deep from the surface of the water. Behold, all the nations are like a drop in a bucket. Have you ever had a little dropper out of a small bottle that you might use for medication or something like that? See? Well, when you squeeze one drop, whoop, that's all the nations that have ever been compared to God and what he can do, and what he knows. Now, why is this important for us to understand? So that we can have, as Eduardo said, that relationship with God the way that we need it, and that we can understand the Word of God and understand the things that God wants us to know, and in the way that God wants us to know. Okay. okay, he goes on saying, verse 11, all nations before him. Now, all nations, that means past, present, and future, are as nothing and are counted by him as less than nothing and vanity. Now, he doesn't say that to put us down. He says that so we understand how great God is and that we're made in his image and his likeness and he has a great plan for us and he wants to share all of this with us. But it can't be accomplished by human means. It must be accomplished God's way. To whom then will you compare God? 
or what oculus will you compare him? Then he talks about idols. Now think about that. Hardly any Catholic thinks anything about it. When they walk into a cathedral or they go to Rome and go, go to so-called St. Peter's Basilica, and they go in there, and there are statues, and there are pictures, and there are paintings, and there are all of these righteous people running around doing the things that they do. Okay? They don't think about all the idols. And those who are dedicated Catholics and are really religious, and they go to communion and they have their, their rosary session with the beads, and they pray to Mary. All right? Now, if there's only one mediator between God and people, Jesus Christ, does any man have the power to declare what the Catholics have declared concerning Mary, that she was a perpetual virgin, that when she died, she ascended to heaven bodily? And she is there to make intercession for those who pray to her. Vanity. Vanity. Lie. Why? Because they don't read and understand the Word of God. Now, they could if they would obey Him. But God has put in the automatic blinding mechanisms that if we read His Word and don't believe it and don't do it, then we can't understand it. And then Satan is there to move in to fill fill in the vacuum every time that people turn their back on God. So he talks about what the workman does. And a goldsmith, making the idol. And then he bows down to it and worships it. Okay, so then God says, all right, of those who create images like that, verse 21. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundation of the earth? See, the knowledge of God has been known, but people reject. So he says, It is he who sits upon the circle of the earth, and his people are like grasshoppers. He's, it is he who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spread them out like a tent to dwell in. Okay. That's why today, when we have all of these magnificent pictures of the universe, that we ought to understand these words more than anybody. Notice, and this is going to happen. 
Verse 23, who brings the rulers to nothing and makes the judges of the earth as vanity? Okay. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground, then he shall blow upon them and they shall wither, and the whirlwind shall take them away like the stubble. Look at every civilization of the past. Where are they? Well, they're discovering some of them by digging them up. What God has already buried or covered over with jungle. Okay. And yet, do they come to God? Okay. Because we need to know. Everything comes from God. And not one word of what he says is going to fail. That is so important. See, Now, I had a man recently write an email to me, and he said, what is the government structure of CBCG? Is it like United Church of God or Living Church of God? So I sent him back an email with the booklet that he could download is the ministry of the government of God. And then the message that I gave on that, the sleight of hand, see. Because what did Jesus say of those who were to be serving and teaching, even the apostles, and even himself? What did Jesus say? He said, you're not to lord it over them. You're not to present yourself as a great benefactor. You are to serve them. For which is greater? The one who serves or the one who's being served? Okay. The one who serves. So that means whatever God gives us, individually all of us, and to any of the elders or teachers, it all comes from God. And whenever you have a situation where anyone thinks, like all the world thinks, that they can come and change the word of God and change what God has said, they don't realize they're setting themselves up as God. Now think of that. If you think you're going to improve on God, you're actually making yourself greater than God. Huh? It's not true. See? And look at how many lives were destroyed in the churches of God because ministers from the top down were told to rule over the brethren. No. We're to serve. We're to teach. Okay. It's like Eduardo said. Okay. So then he says, verse 25, To whom then will you compare me? 
or who is my equal, says the Holy One. See? Lift up your eyes on high and behold, who has created these things? Who brings out their host by number? Trillions of stars. Amazing. And we can't do anything with it out coming from God. Okay? He calls them all by name, by the greatness of his might, for he is strong in power and not one fails. So then he comes back to how he's dealing with Jacob. And this is so true. See? Why do you say, O Jacob, and O Israel, you speak? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my cause is disregarded by my God. Okay. Now, why is that? Why is that happening? I mean, if you watch the news this week, how many are going to come over the border as quickly as they can come? An amazing thing. And it fulfills one verse and a couple of other after that. That the stranger within you shall rise up high above you and you shall come down low. And then like Jacob and Israel would say, well, Lord, why did you do that? Well, the answer there is right in Deuteronomy 28. Because you didn't serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness for all the things that he has given you. See? And as Paul wrote, as he spoke to those in Athens, right there at the philosophical center of the world, and all of these philosophers to this day are glorified in advanced studies in universities and theological centers as well. The philosophies of the pagans. And Paul says, you have out there this inscription to the unknown God. And I'm going to tell you that in him, you live and move and have your being. And I'm preaching to you, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, resurrected from the dead, so that you may believe in him and not your philosophies, that you may live. And what happened? Just a few believed. Amazing. Greatest minds in the world at that time at the Parthenon in Athens. So you see, we have a lot to learn with what God has for us today, but to be joyful in the Lord, to be thankful in God, to praise him that he has done all of these things, 
to praise him so that we may have in our minds the right emotion and feeling toward him when we pray, when we study, when we deal with each other. And we're to have the love of God, right? We're to have the love of God dealing with each other. Is that not true? Yes, it is. See, and remember, you know, what did John write? He who hates his brother or sister in his heart does not have the love of God. So all of those things are in play today with everything that we are looking at with the prophecies, with the circumstances, with the nations, and what's happening here. So let's go ahead and take a break, and we'll be back in 20. Welcome back, brethren. Let's continue on with Sabbath services. And let's come to the book of Haggai. Now, that's a very interesting book indeed. Book of Haggai. Now, this was at a time that Daniel prophesied of the 70 weeks prophecy. Now, it's only two chapters, but we're going to learn a lot from it. It's going to talk about, and you will see this, especially in the minor prophets. And later, in Zechariah, that there's, it's talking about what is present right before their eyes, what is future, and then what is way future, and it's kind of all mixed together, kind of like scrambled eggs. You know, you get scrambled eggs, you can't find the yolk, and all the whites have turned yellow. <laughs> Well, sometimes that's the way the prophecies of God are. They're all mixed together, and the only way we're going to unmix it is that we understand about the Sabbath and the holy days and God's plan as depicted through that. Okay? So let's come here to the book of Haggai, chapter 1. Okay? Now, remember it said there in Daniel, the ninth chapter, that it would be 49 years in reconstructing the city and the temple. And the people got discouraged because it was difficult. So let's pick it up here. Verse 1, in the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, now, Darius took over as king of Babylon after Cyrus conquered it and then issued the decree for the Jews to go back to Jerusalem and build the temple. Okay, so this is all right early on here. On the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet to uh, Zerubbabel, the son of Selatiel, the governor of Judah. Now, from Zerubbabel and Sheatila, that was the line that came down through the genealogy 
to Joseph, the husband of Mary. And in Luke, the third chapter, you have the lineage from Mary's father all the way back to Adam. That's why the two genealogies are different in Matthew and Luke. Okay? Just a little sidebar there. Verse 2. Thus says the Lord of the Lord of hosts speak, saying, This people says the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. See, just because there were troubles, they're saying, Well, we shouldn't build it. Okay. Then the word of the Lord came to Haggai, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in finished houses? And shall my house lie waste? Okay. So they were putting all of theirs first. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Now, we're going to learn different things out of this that apply to them, that applied to things in the future, that applies also to the church, so that we understand that the word of God is always teaching us something that we need to learn. Okay? So he says, consider your ways. Have you sown much and bring in little? You eat, but you do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You dress, but uh, no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put it in a bag with holes. Well, today we call that inflation. Okay, so we can learn from that. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Now look at the number of times that he says, consider your ways. Four times. Go up to the mountain and bring the wood. Build this house and I will take pleasure in it and I will be glorified, says the Lord. In other words, what have we always heard our relationship with God? Do what? Put God first. Right? There it is right there. You look for much and behold, it came to little. So if you don't put God first, you won't be successful. And when you brought it at home, then I blew on it. Why, says the Lord of hosts, because of my house that is waste, and you, each man, runs to his own house. Okay. Perfect lesson for all of us all the time. What is the true household of God today? The church. Right? And how many in the church are doing their own thing rather than coming to God? Well, I don't know, but each one has to calculate that out themselves, see. Verse 10, Therefore the heavens above you have held back their dew, and the earth held back its fruit. See, whenever things are arranged in such a way that God is last, then it's not going to be successful. Okay? So then he says, I call for a drought upon the land, upon the mountains, upon the grain, upon the new wine, upon the oil, and upon 
that which the ground brings forth upon man, upon livestock, upon the labor of your hands. That is called punishment because you don't put God first. Okay? There it is right there. See? That lesson. Now look at it with America today and look at it with the different nations today. Is that applying to them? Is that is what is happening right now? Yes, indeed. Why? Because we say on our currency, in God we trust, but we don't trust in God. And we say that we are a nation founded upon Judeo-Christian ethics, which we don't. Okay? So there it is right there. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Agai, their prophet, as the Lord God had sent him, and the people feared before the Lord. See? Now this is why God always has teachers and prophets. And they are to teach, and we are to teach the way of God in everything. Okay. So here's what God, God said to Haggai. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke the message of the Lord to the people, saying, I am with you, says the Lord. Now that's interesting. Whenever we are with God, he is with us. And when God has something that he wants done, he will be with those who are doing it, provided that they put him first. Okay? And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judea, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. Now, that's what needs to be with the people of God today. We need to come to God, and like Paul wrote to Timothy, stir up the spirit that is in you with the laying on of my hands. Okay. Now, we don't know what God has to do for what he wants us to do, but we have to put him first in everything, and we have to be busy building the character of God. Okay, so here's what they do. He stirred them up. Okay. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. In the 24th day of the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. Now you will see that these things come rather closely here. Okay. Now chapter 2. Now in the seventh month, what do we have the, in the seventh month? We have trumpets, we have atonement, we have Feast of Tabernacles, last great day, right? Okay, so keep that in mind as we read it. So he came to, to, to Zerubbabel, to Josedek, and the remnant of the people saying, verse 3, Who is left among you who saw the temple in its first glory, and how do you see it now? In comparison, is it not in your eyes as nothing? You haven't even started it. 
Yet be strong, O Zerubbabel, says the Lord. Now, what are we told in the New Testament? We're to be strong in the Lord. So here the same thing is. Now, this tells us what? When you come to God, you have God's strength. When you rely on God, he gives you strength and endurance. And he will intervene and help you, and your faith will grow. See, Because it's an active living thing. Our relationship with God and the Spirit of God with us and in us is an active relationship that goes on all the time. And the key here in chapter 1 and chapter 2 is to put God first. Okay, And in building the house, how do we build the house today? by each one of us developing the mind of Christ and building the character of God within us. Now, that's important because we are building and working toward what? The resurrection. And what will the resurrection be? The resurrection will be the family of God. And the family of God will be the whole household of God, spiritually speaking. Now, we're coming to Pentecost here in a couple of weeks. And I cover that for the day of Pentecost. And that's quite a thing that God has that's going to come to the world and that's going to be the result of all the work of the churches down through history. So he says, Be strong, O Zerubbabel, says the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord, and work, for I am with you. Now, what is the lesson here? As long as you're working, God is with you, correct? When you're not working, when you should be working, God kind of holds back, waiting for you. Okay. Now, think of this. What does he say to all the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3? I know your works. See? So if you have faith, as James says, you will have works. So think about that. And work. For I am with you, says the Lord of hosts, according to the word that I covenanted with you when I, you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you. Do not fear, thus says the Lord of hosts. Once again, in a little while. Now, here we go. Here's how some of the prophecies come together. All of this that we've been reading about up to this point has to do with building the second temple. Okay, then all of a sudden, here's an interjection of something that's going to be in the latter times. Okay, let's read it. For thus says the Lord of hosts once again, yet in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill the house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. Now, that house of glory is going to be 
Hold your place here. See, this goes to the second coming of Christ and goes to the beginning of the millennium. Right there in those two verses. Right in the middle of his telling them what to do to build the temple. Okay? Yes, let's come to Isaiah, the fourth chapter. And let's hold your place here because we're coming back to Haggai. Isaiah, the fourth chapter. Now here, and Isaiah is just like this all the way through. You go to certain places in Isaiah, it's right at the time he's speaking. Then it talks a little later, right in the same context of John the Baptist. Then it talks about the return of Jesus Christ. This is the first part of Isaiah 40. Every hill shall be lowered and every valley shall be exalted. That's talking about what's going to happen when, when Christ shakes the whole heavens and the earth. Now, here's the glory of what that tabernacle is going to be. Right here, Isaiah 4 and verse 5. And the Lord will create over every dwelling place in Mount Zion and over her assemblies a cloud and a smoke by day and shining fire by night for over all the, the glory there shall be a canopy and there shall be a tabernacle for shade by day from the heat and for refuge and for shelter from storm and rain. Okay? There's not going to be a temple there's going to be a tabernacle. And it's going to be glorious, like it says in Haggai. But you wouldn't know what that glory would be until you read Isaiah 4. Okay? And Isaiah 4 interjects this right in the middle of other prophecies. Okay? Let's come back to Haggai again. Then he says, verse 8. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. Okay. Now, the latter temple is not the one they were building because the one they were building was smaller than the one that was destroyed. So this is talking about the one in Isaiah the fourth chapter, okay? And in this place I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. In the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Haggai, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Now ask the priest concerning the law, saying, okay? He wants the priest to function properly. You can also read that in the book of Malachi. Quite a condemnation against the priesthood at that time as well. If one carries holy flesh in the skirt of his garment and touches his skirt to bread or boiled food or wine or oil or any food, will it also become holy? The priest answered and said, no. Okay. So, Here's the point. Verse 13. Then Haggai said, If one who is unclean by a dead body touches of anything of these, 
shall it also be unclean? And the priest answered and said, it shall be unclean. Then he's drawing an analogy between God, the temple, and the people. And Haggai answered and said, so is this people and so is this nation before me, says the Lord. And so is every work of their hands, that which they offer there is unclean. Now think about that in relationship to the churches of establishment Christianity. They fall right into this part right here. Because they're not doing it according to the way of God, it's unclean. It's unacceptable. And when they put Sunday above the Sabbath and say they have the right to do it, what are they doing? They're sitting in the seat of God and saying, God doesn't know anything. We'll tell God what to do. So he says, verse 15, And now I ask you, consider from this day and onward, from before the placing of the stone upon a stone in the temple of the Lord, how that one came expecting a heap of twenty measures, and there were but ten. One came to wine, to the wine vat to draw off fifty measures from the wine press, and there was but twenty. I struck you with blight and mildew, with hail, and all your labors of your hands, yet you did not return to me. Now think about that in relationship to two things. Number one, to the nation of Israel today, all the descendants of Israel today. Isn't that what they do in their professing of God? Same thing, yes. Now think about that in relationship to the church. Are the things that some of the churches are doing are really not in accord with the will of God the way that it should be? Yes, indeed, so they need to change. So God says this, Now consider from this day and forward, from the 24th day of the ninth month from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider this. All right, stop and think. The temple that is coming, and there is one that is coming, could it the cornerstone be laid on this day? Who knows? They have a lot of things ready to go, but they don't know where to put the temple yet because God has blinded their eyes to it so that when the time comes, it will be in the right place. Okay? So he says here, Is the seed still in the barn? Yea, as yet the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not brought forth? From this day forward, I will bless you. Now think about that. That has everything to do with how you live. Okay? Everything comes from God. And the second time, the word of the Lord came to Haggai in the 24th day of the month, saying, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, 
I will shake the heavens and the earth. Now this is clear into where? Revelation 6, right? Okay. So you see how this comes with prophecies. Everything is mixed together, and you need to have the Sabbath and the holy days to properly separate it out and how they fit. So he says, I will overthrow the throne of the kingdoms. Now what throne is that? Revelation 13, the beast power, right? Who gave him what? His throne and his great authority, Satan, right? And I will destroy the strengths of the kingdoms of the nations. I will overthrow the chariots and their riders. The horse and their riders shall come down, each one by the sword of his brother. In that day, says the Lord of hosts, I will take Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shelatiel, says the Lord, and I will make him a signet ring, for I have chosen you, says the Lord of hosts. Now, in that case, that applies to governor of Judea at that time, but it also applies to Christ. Okay? Now, now we come to the book of Zechariah. Now, the book of Zechariah has many of the same features as Haggai. But what I want to do, I want to focus in on chapter 3 and chapter 4, because we're going to examine about the two witnesses. Now, we have had in the church proclaimed in the past. Remember years ago, all expecting to go to Petra in 1972? That never occurred. And they were saying that Herbert Armstrong and Garner Ted were the two witnesses. Not so. They're both gone. Okay. Now, how do we know they weren't the two witnesses? Anybody? Pro-offer evidence that they were not the two witnesses? When they died... They weren't called up to heaven to ascend up to the throne of God, were they? Like we find in Revelation 11 with the two witnesses, correct? Herbert Armstrong died in 1986. Garner Ted Armstrong died in 2003. Okay. Now, there are some, there's one minister saying that he's so important that he's going to be over the two witnesses. That's not so. His name is Dave Pack. There's another man who said, well, I'm the one of the two witnesses, and I'll tell you who the other witness is. And it turned out to be his wife. Okay? The two witnesses are not coming from anyone in the church. God is personally going to raise them up. Just exactly like he did with Joshua the high priest here in Zechariah 3. Now as we read this, some people read this and have asked the question, well, could this refer to Jonathan Kahn today? 
because he's of the priestly line. Well, if it does refer to him, then we'll see a vast change in Jonathan Cahn. If it doesn't apply to him, he won't change. Okay? So let's read it. Now it starts out with the high priest, so the high priest comes first. Zechariah 3 and verse 1. And he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at, at his right hand to resist him. So here's a great struggle between God and Satan and the one who's the high priest in the middle. And the Lord said to Satan, May the Lord rebuke you, Satan. May even the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a branch plucked out of the fire? Now, that means close to what? Committing very difficult sins, right? Okay. Now, Joshua was clothed with filthy garments. Now, what is the righteousness of the saints? Keeping the commandments of God. What are the righteousness of the high priest? The pure white linen which pictures the righteousness of God. Okay. Verse 4. And he answered and spoke to those who stood by before him, saying, Take the filthy garments off him. And to him he said, Behold, I have caused your iniquity to pass from you, and I will clothe you with ceremonial robes. And also, as we will see in Revelation 11, sackcloth and ashes. Okay. Now, this is interesting that God is going to choose two men, two only. And he will make it known by the circumstances at the time when it should be known. Okay. So then it says here, verse 5, let them set a clean miter on his head, and they set a clean miter on his head, and clothe them with, with garments. And the angel of the Lord stood by, and the angel of the Lord charged Joshua, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways, and if you will keep my charge, then you shall also judge my house, and shall also keep my courts, and I will give you places to walk among those who stand by. Now, we will see that has to be because there's a temple to be built in Jerusalem. Here now, o Joshua, high priest, you and the fellows who sit before you, for they are men wondered at. For behold, I will bring forth my servant a branch. That's the second return of Christ. Okay. So we have, again, we have what is taking place currently, contemporaneously, then all of a sudden, an interjection of something at the end. Okay. Verse 9, For behold, the stone that I have set before Joshua, on one stone are seven eyes. Now, the seven, that's symbolic of the seven eyes of God, as we find in Revelation 1, Revelation 4, Revelation 5, and 2 
Chronicles 16. And these are the eyes of God going into all the earth to keep track of what's going on in the earth and who is out there seeking God. See? So let's look at it this way from your own personal experience. What happened to you in your life when you were out there wandering around and all of a sudden, bing, something happened? And you started to think on God. You began to see your own sins. See? That's why the seven eyes of God are there doing it. We'll see it a little bit later here. Okay? Behold, I will engrave its engraving upon it, says the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of the land in one day. In that day, says the Lord of hosts, you shall call each man to his neighbor to sit under the vine and under the fig tree. All right? Projects forward to what? The millennium. Isn't that what it says there in Micah, the fourth chapter, and Isaiah, the second chapter? There it is right there. Okay? Now, so we have one who is of the lineage of the high priest. So that has to be of the house of Aaron. So we will have to wait and see. When God raises him up, then we will know. Now, this we don't know. How much of a ministry will he have between the time that he begins and the time that he becomes one of the two witnesses? Because the high priest may be there functioning and working with the temple that they're building, but when does he become one of the two witnesses? Okay. Well, we'll just have to wait and see because God is going to give them special powers at that time. Now, here we come to the other of the two witnesses right here. Okay. Chapter 4, Zechariah. And the angel of the Lord that talked with me came again and awakened me as a man that is awakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? And I said, I see and behold a lampstand, all of it gold and a bowl upon its top and seven lamps upon it and seven pipes of the seven lamps on its top. Now, a lot of people think this is the menorah that was in the temple, but this is constructed differently. When you go to Revelation 1, who are the lampstands? The seven lamps. The seven churches. See? And the two olive trees beside it, one on this side of the bowl and the other on that, on the left side of it. And I answered and spoke to the angel and who talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? Then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, do you know what these are? And I said, No, my Lord. And he answered and spoke to me, saying, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Now, when we look at the two witnesses, that's what it's going to be. See? Think about this. Two men 
as we'll see in Revelation 11, clothed in sackcloth and ashes, resisting the beast and the false prophet and the whole world. Now think about that. That's why it says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Who are you, O great mountain? Great mountain is what? That's that whole world system as we find in the book of Revelation chapter 13 and 17. Before Zerubbabel, you great mountain, you shall be a plain. And he shall bring forth the headstone shouting, Grace, grace unto it. Who is the headstone? Christ. Okay. So this is the return of Christ. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of the house. His hand shall also finish it. And you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. So there are going to be great things that will be happening in the area of Jerusalem and what is known as Israel today in Palestine. For who has despised the day of small things? Now think about that with the two witnesses. Can you get anything smaller than the two witnesses? against the great powers of the world and Satan, the devil? Just two men? That's astonishing, okay? For they shall rejoice and see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel. These seven are the seven eyes of the Lord, which run to and fro through the whole earth. So God knows what's going on everywhere all the time, right? Yes. Verse 11. And I answered and said to him, What are these two olive trees on the right hand, right side of the lampstand and on its left side? And I answered again and said to him, What are the two olive branches beside the two golden pipes emptying golden oil out of themselves. Now, this is the Holy Spirit coming directly to the two witnesses. See? In all power. And he answered and answered me and said, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my Lord. And he said, These are the two anointed who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. Okay. This is something. This is how God is going to choose the two witnesses. Now let's come back to Revelation 11. So we have between Haggai and building the temple, we have the third temple that is yet to come, as pictured by Haggai. And then we have the two witnesses, the priest of the temple and the governor of Judea. Now, who they will be, we won't know until we see what they do. 
So let's read it here. Now this is why we know there has to be a second temple or a third temple built. Okay? Now how do we know this? Because Jesus said the great tribulation will not come until there is the abomination of desolation that stands in the holy place. Now what is that abomination of desolation? We've covered that recently, Second Thessalonians, the second chapter, of the beast power going into the temple of God and proclaiming himself to be God, that he's greater than anything else on the earth. Measure the temple and the altar and those who worship in it. But leave out the court that is within the temple area and do not measure it because it is, has been given up to the Gentiles and they shall trample upon the holy city for 42 months. And I will give power to my two witnesses. That's what the oil is in Zechariah 4. That's how God gives the power. He gives them strength. He gives them faith. He gives them protection. And he gives them extraordinary powers that no other men have ever had on the earth. And they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and sixty days clothed in sackcloth. Now notice verse 4 because this ties right in with Zechariah 4, okay? These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the God of the earth. So these are big-time events to happen, see? God is the one who does the selecting. God is the one who gives his spirit, see? Now imagine how frustrating this is going to be for the beast and the false prophet for 1260 days. I mean, think about it. You, you go back and look at how Pharaoh reacted to Moses and Aaron. Huh, what were they? They were two witnesses to Pharaoh, right? Who was Pharaoh? He was the king of Satan, right? So there's a parallel here. And Pharaoh couldn't do anything to stop the plagues that Moses and Aaron brought upon the Egyptians. Same way here. Think about all the power that the world has, all the munitions, Okay, all of the guns, all of what super weapons that they may have. And there are two men filled with the Spirit of God, directly connected to God, who is witnessing to them, and let's see the power that they have. Let's read it. Okay, stand before the God. Let's read verse 4 again. These are the two olive trees, and the two lampstands that stand before the God of the earth. Now, if anyone attempts to harm them, fire will go out of their mouths and devour their enemies. All right? Now, David Pack, 
That means if you're going to be over the two witnesses, you would have more power. But you're not. Any man who claims those kinds of things, God is going to take care of. Okay? For if anyone attempts to, to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. Now think how frustrating that is going to be to the people on earth, to the beast, to the false prophets, to all the people, okay? These have authority to shut heaven up that no rain may fall in the days of their prophecy. They have authority over the waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with every plague as often as they will. Now think about that. That's something. They're going to torment the whole earth. And Satan's plan of his one world government is going to be stopped in its tracks right there with the two witnesses. Think about that. Now notice, God always lets them have their way for a little time. And when they have completed their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the abyss will make war against them and will overcome them and will kill them. And their bodies shall lie in the street of that great city, which is spiritually called Sodom in Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified right there in the streets of Jerusalem. Now notice what a great thing this is going to be for the people on the earth. Okay? Then those of the peoples and, and the tribes and languages and nations shall see their bodies three and a half days, for they will not allow their bodies to be put into tombs. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them will make merry and send gifts to one another because these two prophets had tormented those who dwell on the earth. Now they're going to have three and a half days of what they think is glorious victory. Okay? But just as Christ was resurrected from the dead, so these two witnesses will be raised from the dead. And in a special way. Let's read it. Then after three and a half days, the spirit of life from the Lord entered into them, and they stood on their feet, and great fear fell upon those who were watching them. Will this be televised worldwide? Who knows? Think about that. If all of this is televised worldwide, okay? Now then, look what it's going to be. And this is going to come on that last day of Pentecost, and the last two who were martyred will be the first two who were raised from the dead. And they heard a great voice from heaven say, come up here. 
and they ascended into heaven in a cloud, and their enemies saw them. And in that hour there was a great earthquake, a tenth of the city fell, 7,000 men were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were filled with fear and gave glory to the God of heaven. Second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming immediately, which then is the sound of the last trumpet, and the resurrection takes place on Pentecost. Now we'll see that as we come when we have the day of Pentecost. So this is quite a fantastic event that's going to be, all of it. So we're living in the days leading up to it and all the troubles that we see around us in it. Okay, And so this applies to us that we need to stay really alert. And as Eduardo showed with the ten virgins, we need to have the oil of God's Spirit. We need to draw close to God. We need not be discouraged in anything, regardless of how bad it may appear or be or become, because God is with us in everything, see? So this is the ultimate victory of it. So this is why we need to look at the prophecies and put them together with all the other scriptures so we get the full understanding of the prophecies.